Section three of Sherman's March to the Sea and the Burning of Columbia, South Carolina, from his memoirs by William Tecumseh Sherman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three, Chapter twenty one, Part two. On the twentieth of November, I was still with the Fourteenth Corps near Eatonton Factory, waiting to hear of the Twentieth Corps, and on the twenty first, we camped near the house of a man named Mann the next day about four p m general davis had halted his head of column on a wooded ridge overlooking an extensive slope of cultivated country about ten miles short of milledgeville and was deploying his troops for camp when i got up there was a high raw wind blowing and i asked him why he had chosen so cold and bleak a position he explained that he had accomplished his full distance for the day and had there an abundance of wood and water he explained further that his advance guard was a mile or so ahead, so I rode on, asking him to let his rear division, as it came up, move some distance ahead into the depression or valley beyond. Riding on some distance to the border of a plantation, I turned out of the main road into a cluster of wild plum bushes that broke the force of the cold November wind, dismounted, and instructed the staff to pick out the place for our camp the afternoon was unusually raw and cold my orderly was at hand with his invariable saddle-bags which contained a change of underclothing my maps a flask of whisky and bunch of cigars taking a drink and lighting a cigar i walked to a row of negro huts close by entered one and found a soldier or two warming themselves by a wood fire i took their place by the fire intending to wait there till our wagons had got up and a camp made for the night i was talking to the old negro woman when some one came and explained to me that if i would come farther down the road i could find a better place so i started on foot and found on the main road a good double-hued log-house in one room of which colonel poe dr moore and others had started a fire I sent back orders to the plum-bushes to bring our horses and saddles up to this house, and an orderly to conduct our headquarter wagons to the same place. In looking around the room I saw a small box, like a candle-box, marked Howell Cobb, and on inquiring of a negro found that we were at the plantation of General Howell Cobb of Georgia, one of the leading rebels of the South then a general in the southern army and who had been secretary of the united states treasury in mr buchanan's time of course we confiscated his property and found it rich in corn beans peanuts and sorghum molasses extensive fields were all around the house i sent word back to general david to explain whose plantation it was and instructed him to spare nothing that night huge bonfires consumed the fence-rails kept our soldiers warm and the teamsters and men as well as the slaves carried off an immense quantity of corn and provisions of all sorts in due season the headquarter wagons came up and we got supper after supper i sat on a chair astride with my back to a good fire musing and became conscious that an old negro with a tallow candle in his hand was scanning my face closely I inquired, "'What do you want, old man?' He answered, "'They say you is Massa Sherman.' I answered that such was the case, and inquired what he wanted. He only wanted to look at me, and kept muttering, "'Dis nigger can't sleep dis night.' 
i asked him why he trembled so and he said that he wanted to be sure that we were in fact yankees for on a former occasion some rebel cavalry had put on light blue overcoats personating yankee troops and many of the negroes were deceived thereby himself among the number had shown them sympathy and had in consequence been unmercifully beaten therefore this time he wanted to be certain before committing himself so i told him to go out on the porch from which he could see the whole horizon lit up with campfires and he could then judge whether he had ever seen anything like it before the old man became convinced that the yankees had come at last about whom he had been dreaming all his life and some of the staff officers gave him a strong drink of whiskey which set his tongue going lieutenant spelling who commanded my escort was a georgian and recognized in this old negro a favorite slave of his uncle who resided about six miles off but the old slave did not at first recognize his young master in our uniform one of my staff officers asked him what had become of his young master george he did not know only that he had gone off to the war and he supposed him killed as a matter of course his attention was then drawn to spelling's face when he fell on his knees and thanked god that he had found his young master alive and along with the yankees spelling inquired all about his uncle and the family asked my permission to go and pay his uncle a visit which i granted of course and the next morning he described to me his visit the uncle was not cordial by any means to find his nephew in the ranks of the host that was desolating the land and spelling came back having exchanged his tired horse for a fresher one out of his uncle's stables explaining that surely some of the bummers would have got the horse had he not the next morning november twenty third we rode into milledgeville the capital of the state whither the twentieth corps had preceded us and during that day the left wing was all united in and around milledgeville from the inhabitants we learned that some of kilpatrick's cavalry had preceded us by a couple of days and that all of the right wing was at and near gordon twelve miles off viz the place where the branch railroad came to milledgeville from the mason and savannah road the first stage of the journey was therefore complete and absolutely successful general howard soon reported by letter the operations of his right wing which on leaving atlanta had substantially followed the two roads toward mason by jonesboro and mcdonough and reached the okmulgee at planter's factory which they crossed by the aid of the pontoon train during the eighteenth and nineteenth of november thence with the seventeenth corps general blair's he general howard had marched via monticello toward gordon having dispatched kilpatrick's cavalry supported by the fifteenth corps osterhouses to fane on mason kilpatrick met the enemy's cavalry about four miles out of mason and drove them rapidly back into the bridge defences held by infantry kilpatrick charged these got inside the parapet but could not hold it and retired to his infantry supports near griswold station the fifteenth corps tore up the railroad track eastward from griswold leaving charles r wood's division behind as a rear-guard one brigade of which was entrenched across the road with some of kilpatrick's cavalry on the flanks on the twenty second of november general g w smith with a division of troops came out of mason attacked this brigade walcutt's in position and was handsomely repulsed and driven back into mason 
this brigade was in part armed with spencer repeating rifles and its fire was so rapid that general smith insists to this day that he encountered a whole division but he is mistaken he was beaten by one brigade walcutt's and made no further effort to molest our operations from that direction general walcutt was wounded in the leg and had to ride the rest of the distance to savannah in a carriage therefore by the twenty third i was in milledgeville with the left wing and was in full communication with the right wing at gordon the people of milledgeville remained at home except the governor brown the state officers and legislature who had ignominiously fled in the utmost disorder and confusion standing not on the order of their going but going at once some by rail some by carriages and many on foot some of the citizens who remained behind described this flight of the brave and patriotic governor brown he had occupied a public building known as the governor's mansion and had hastily stripped it of carpets curtains and furniture of all sorts which were removed to a train of freight cars which carried away these things even the cabbages and vegetables from the kitchen and cellar leaving behind muskets ammunition and the public archives on arrival at milledgeville i occupied the same public mansion and was soon overwhelmed with appeals for protection general slocum had previously arrived with the twentieth corps had taken up his quarters at the milledgeville hotel established a good provost guard and excellent order was maintained the most frantic appeals had been made by the governor and legislature for help from every quarter and the people of the state had been called out en masse to resist and destroy the invaders of their homes and firesides even the prisoners and convicts of the penitentiary were released on condition of serving as soldiers and the cadets were taken from their military college for the same purpose these constituted a small battalion under general harry wayne a former officer of the united states army and son of the then justice wayne of the supreme court but these hastily retreated east across the Oconee river leaving us a good bridge which we promptly secured at milledgeville we found newspapers from all the south and learned the consternation which had filled the southern mind at our temerity many charging that we were actually fleeing for our lives and seeking safety at the hands of our fleet on the sea-coast all demanded that we should be assailed front flank and rear that provisions should be destroyed in advance so that we should starve that bridges should be burned roads obstructed and no mercy shown us judging from the tone of the southern press of that day the outside world must have supposed us ruined and lost i give a few of these appeals as samples which to-day must sound strange to the parties who made them corinth mississippi november eighteen eighteen eighty four to the people of georgia arise for the defence of your native soil rally around your patriotic governor and gallant soldiers obstruct and destroy all the roads in sherman's front flank and rear and his army will soon starve in your midst be confident be resolute trust in an overruling providence and success will soon crown your efforts i hasten to join you in the defence of your home and firesides g t beauregard richmond november eighteen eighteen eighty four to the people of georgia you have now the best opportunity ever yet presented to destroy the enemy put everything at the disposal of our generals remove all provisions from the path of the invader and put all obstructions in his path 
every citizen with his gun and every negro with his spade and axe can do the work of a soldier you can destroy the enemy by retarding his march georgians be firm act promptly and fear not b h hill senator i most cordially approve the above james a seddon secretary of war richmond november nineteenth eighteen sixty four to the people of georgia we have had a special conference with president davis and the secretary of war and are able to assure you that they have done and are still doing all that can be done to meet the emergency that presses upon you let every man fly to arms remove your negroes horses cattle and provisions from sherman's army and burn what you cannot carry burn all bridges and block up the roads in his route assail the invader in front flank and rear by night and by day let him have no rest julian hartridge mark blandford j h eccles george n lester john t shoemaker james m smith members of congress of course we were rather amused than alarmed at these threats and made light of the feeble opposition offered to our progress some of the officers in the spirit of mischief gathered together in the vacant hall of representatives elected a speaker and constituted themselves the legislature of the state of georgia a proposition was made to repeal the ordinance of secession which was well debated and resulted in its repeal by a fair vote i was not present at these frolics but heard of them at the time and enjoyed the joke meantime orders were made for the total destruction of the arsenal and its contents and of such public buildings as could be easily converted to hostile uses but little or no damage was done to private property and general slocum with my approval spared several mills and many thousands of bales of cotton taking what he knew to be worthless bonds that the cotton should not be used for the confederacy meantime the right wing continued its movement along the railroad toward savannah tearing up the track and destroying its iron at the Oconee was met a feeble resistance from harry wayne's troops but soon the pontoon bridge was laid and that wing crossed over gilpatrick's cavalry was brought into milledgeville and crossed the Oconee by the bridge near the town and on the twenty third i made the general orders for the next stage of the march as far as millen they were substantially for the right wing to follow the savannah railroad by roads on its south the left wing was to move to sandersville by davisboro and louisville while the cavalry was ordered by a circuit to the north and to march rapidly for millen to rescue our prisoners of war confined there the distance was about a hundred miles general wheeler with his division of rebel cavalry had succeeded in getting ahead of us between milledgeville and augusta and general p j hardy had been dispatched by general beauregard from hood's army to oppose our progress directly in front he had however brought with him no troops but relied on his influence with the georgians of whose state he was a native to arouse the people and with them to annihilate sherman's army on the twenty fourth we renewed the march and i accompanied the twentieth corps which took the direct road to sandersville which we reached simultaneously with the fourteenth corps on the twenty sixth a brigade of rebel cavalry was deployed before the town and was driven in and through it by our skirmish line i myself saw the rebel cavalry apply fire to stacks of fodder standing in the fields at sandersville and gave orders to burn some unoccupied dwellings close by 
on entering the town i told certain citizens who would be sure to spread the report that if the enemy attempted to carry out their threat to burn their food corn and fodder in our route i would most undoubtedly execute to the letter the general orders of devastation made at the outset of the campaign with this exception and one or two minor cases near savannah the people did not destroy food for they clearly saw that it would be ruin to themselves at sandersville i halted the left wing until i heard that the right wing was abreast of us on the railroad during the evening a negro was brought to me who had that day been to the station tenille about six miles south of the town i inquired of him if there were any yankees there and he answered yes he described in his own way what he had seen first there come along some cavalrymen and they burned the depot then come along some infantrymen and they tore up the track and burned it and just before he left they had sought fire to the well the next morning viz the twenty seventh i rode down to the station and found general corse's division of the fifteenth corps engaged in destroying the railroad and saw the well which my negro informant had seen burnt it was a square pit about twenty-five feet deep boarded up with wooden steps leading to the bottom wherein was a fine copper pump to lift the water to a tank above the soldiers had broken up the pump heaved in the steps and lining and set fire to the mass of lumber in the bottom of the well which corroborated the negro's description from this point blair's corps the seventeenth took up the work of destroying the railroad the fifteenth corps following another road leading eastward farther to the south of the railroad while the left wing was marching toward louisville north of the railroad general kilpatrick had with his cavalry division moved rapidly toward waynesboro on the branch railroad leading from millen to augusta he found wheeler's division of rebel cavalry there and had considerable skirmishing with it but learning that our prisoners had been removed two days before from millen he returned to louisville on the twenty ninth where he found the left wing here he remained a couple of days to rest his horses and receiving orders from me to engage wheeler and give him all the fighting he wanted he procured from general slocum the assistance of the infantry division of general baird and moved back for waynesboro on the second of december the remainder of the left wing continuing its march on towards miller's near waynesboro wheeler was again encountered and driven through the town and beyond briar creek toward augusta thus keeping up the delusion that the main army was moving toward augusta general kilpatrick's fighting and movement about waynesboro and briar creek were spirited and produced a good effect by relieving the infantry column and the wagon trains of all molestation during their march on millen having thus covered that flank he turned south and followed the movement of the fourteenth corps to buckhead church north of millen and near it on the third of december i entered millen with the seventeenth corps general frank p blair and there paused one day to communicate with all parts of the army general howard was south of the ogeechee river with the fifteenth corps opposite scarborough general slocum was at buckhead church four miles north of millen with the twentieth corps the fourteenth general davis was at lumpkin station on the augusta road about ten miles north of millen and the cavalry division was within easy support of this wing thus the whole army was in good position and in good condition 
we had largely subsisted on the country our wagons were full of forage and provisions but as we approached the sea-coast the country became more sandy and barren and food became more scarce still with little or no loss we had travelled two-thirds of our distance and i concluded to push on for savannah at millen i learned that general bragg was in augusta and that general wade hampton had been ordered there from richmond to organize a large cavalry force with which to resist our progress general hardy was ahead between us and savannah with mcclaw's division and other irregular troops that could not i felt assured exceed ten thousand men i caused the fine depot at millen to be destroyed and other damage done and then resumed the march directly on savannah by the four main roads the seventeenth corps general blair followed substantially the railroad and along with it on the fifth of december i reached ogeechee church about fifty miles from savannah and found there fresh earthworks which had been thrown up by mcclaw's division but he must have seen that both his flanks were being turned and prudently retreated to savannah without a fight all the columns then pursued leisurely their march toward savannah corn and forage becoming more and more scarce but rice-fields beginning to occur along the savannah and ogeechee rivers which proved a good substitute both as food and forage the weather was fine the roads good and everything seemed to favour us never do i recall a more agreeable sensation than the sight of our camps by night lit up by the fires of fragrant pine knots the trains were all in good order, and the men seemed to march their fifteen miles a day as though it were nothing. No enemy opposed us, and we could only occasionally hear the faint reverberation of a gun to our left rear, where we knew that General Kilpatrick was skirmishing with Wheeler's cavalry, which persistently followed him. But the infantry columns had met with no opposition whatsoever mcclaw's division was falling back before us and we occasionally picked up a few of his men as prisoners who insisted that we would meet with strong opposition at savannah on the eighth as i rode along i found the column turned out of the main road marching through the fields close by in the corner of a fence was a group of men standing around a handsome young officer whose foot had been blown to pieces by a torpedo planted in the road he was waiting for a surgeon to amputate his leg, and told me that he was riding along with the rest of his brigade staff of the 17th Corps, when a torpedo trodden on by his horse had exploded, killing the horse and literally blowing off all the flesh from one of his legs. I saw the terrible wound, and made full inquiry into the facts. There had been no resistance at that point, nothing to give warning of danger, and the rebels had planted eight-inch shells in the road, with friction matches to explode them, by being trodden on. This was not war, but murder, and it made me very angry. I immediately ordered a lot of rebel prisoners to be brought from the provost guard, armed with picks and spades, and made them march in close order along the road, so as to explode their own torpedoes, or to discover and dig them up. They begged hard, but I reiterated the order, and could hardly help laughing at their stepping so gingerly along the road, where it was supposed sunken torpedoes might explode at each step but they found no other torpedoes till near Fort McAllister. 
that night we reached pooler station eight miles from savannah and during the next two days december ninth and tenth the several corps reached the defences of savannah the fourteenth corps on the left touching the river the twentieth corps next then the seventeenth and the fifteenth on the extreme right thus completely investing the city wishing to reconnoitre the place in person i rode forward by the louisville road into a dense wood of oak pine and cypress left the horses and walked down to the railroad track at a place where there was a side track and a cut about four feet deep from that point the railroad was straight leading into savannah and about eight hundred yards off were a rebel parapet and battery i could see the cannoneers preparing to fire and cautioned the officers near me to scatter as we would likely attract a shot very soon i saw the white puff of smoke and watching close caught sight of the ball as it rose in its flight and finding it coming pretty straight i stepped a short distance to one side but noticed a negro very near me in the act of crossing the track at right angles some one called to him to look out but before the poor fellow understood his danger the ball a thirty-two pound round shot struck the ground and rose in its first ricochet caught the negro under the right jaw and literally carried away his head scattering blood and brains about a soldier close by spread an overcoat over the body and we all concluded to get out of that railroad cut meantime general mower's division of the seventeenth corps had crossed the canal to the right of the louisville road and had found the line of parapet continuous so at savannah we had again run up against the old familiar parapet with its deep ditches canals and bayous full of water and it looked as though another siege was inevitable i accordingly made a camp or bivouac near the louisville road about five miles from savannah and proceeded to invest the place closely pushing forward reconnaissances at every available point as soon as it was demonstrated that savannah was well fortified with a good garrison commanded by general william j hardy a competent soldier i saw that the first step was to open communication with our fleet supposed to be waiting for us with supplies and clothing in osabao sound general howard had some nights previously sent one of his best scouts captain duncan with two men in a canoe to drift past Fort McAllister, and to convey to the fleet a knowledge of our approach. General Kilpatrick's cavalry had also been transferred to the south bank of the Ogeechee, with orders to open communication with the fleet. Leaving orders with General Slocum to press the siege, I instructed General Howard to send a division with all his engineers to Grog's Bridge, fourteen and a half miles southwest from Savannah, to rebuild it on the evening of the twelfth i rode over myself and spent the night at mr king's house where i found general howard with general hazen's division of the fifteenth corps his engineers were hard at work on the bridge which they finished that night and at sunrise hazen's division crossed over i gave general hazen in person his orders to march rapidly down the right bank of the ogeechee and without hesitation to assault and carry fort McAllister by storm i knew it to be strong in heavy artillery as against an approach from the sea but believed it open and weak to the rear i explained to general hazen fully that on his action depended the safety of the whole army and the success of the campaign 
kilpatrick had already felt the fort and had gone farther down the coast to kilkenny bluff or st catherine sound where on the same day he had communication with a vessel belonging to the blockading fleet but at the time i was not aware of this fact and trusted entirely to general hazen and his division of infantry the second of the fifteenth corps the same old division which i had commanded at shiloh and vicksburg in which i felt a special pride and confidence End of section three.